Hello, and welcome to the One Computer Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter, and yes, I know it has been forever. It has been literally forever since since I last recorded. Uh, the last time I recorded, it, it was it was like 2014. The government had just shut down. People were asking Ted Cruz if it's okay to run for president, even though you're born in Canada. Uh, actually, it wasn't it wasn't quite that far ago, but it was. We have had every debate of this election since I last recorded. So we're, we're going to talk about those. We've also had a, just a totally bizarre series of events, which seems to have finally disqualified Donald Trump from the presidency in the eyes of a majority of Americans. A little weird that it's taken this long. Uh, I hope to get to a few points about that. <laughs> it should have been, you know, in like 2012 that we already knew Donald Trump could not be president. But uh, but here we are. Uh, it is October twenty third, evening of that I'm recording, and we are sixteen days, about to be fifteen days from the actual election. the The end is almost in sight. We are counting it by days now, not even by weeks or months, even years. I started this podcast in December two thousand fourteen. <laughs> um, so. Where, where to even begin? Where, where, where to... How, how do you summarize a month of utter insanity on the campaign trail? And it feels like you can barely uh, summarize everything if you're doing this every day, which obviously I haven't been. So, what I'm going to do is first talk about the Al Smith dinner and the third debate, because those are somewhat recent in memory, and then do a very incomplete summary and some commentary on the month that preceded those things. So first, the Al Smith dinner. This is a, a dinner that happens every presidential election in honor of, uh, I believe, the first Catholic nominee for the uh, the presidency. I, I'm not sure if he got the nomination or not. Anyway, uh, what it's become is this dinner where the candidates make fun of themselves and each other and a little bit just of the people there, and they raise some money for charity. And it's the one moment in the campaign where you get to show, like, yeah, this is tough, but it's all just a game. We're, we're all just trying to win this game to become <coughs> excuse me, president. And, and we respect each other on some level. We're, we're enemies, we're fighting for different things, but the other guy's not a bad person. That's what it usually is. In, in this case, it was kind of like that. It had the form of that and the frame of that, but Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton legitimately dislike each other, maybe even hate each other, and that was clear enough from how things proceeded. Uh, There was most of it, if you just took a sample, like 10 seconds of the dinner, you'd probably just run into a moment that seemed like what it's supposed to be, Uh, like Hillary Clinton calling everyone there adorables, which, you know, is making fun of herself for calling Donald Trump supporters deplorables, or Donald Trump saying, I know there's bias in the media because Michelle Obama gave a speech and everyone loved it, and then my wife Melania gave the exact same speech and everyone gets on her case. And referring, of course, to Melania Trump give, plagiarizing a speech from Michelle Obama. That's the kind of thing that's, that the Al Smith dinner is about. However, uh, Donald Trump also said things like Hillary Clinton pretends not to hate Catholics. And everyone knows, of course, Hillary's belief that it takes a village, as in Haiti, where she's taken a number of them, which I, I'm not even exactly sure what that means. Uh, if you look at like Obama and Mitt Romney or John McCain doing these dinners, it, they're they're having fun and they're laughing at each other, and it, it's, there's some clear mutual respect. Whereas here, there is the uh, the guise of mutual respect and not actual mutual respect. And it was another moment where Trump could have played the the nice guy and instead chose to make it like another opportunity to try to insult Hillary Clinton more than he was being friendly toward her, which is just not good strategy. He can't help himself even when it's easy enough to do something kind of political and strategic, which is to like play the nice guy sometimes. You have to do sort of a one-person good cop, bad cop thing, and he's only good at one of those. It's bad cop. 
All right, so third debate. It's just a few days ago. This was a weird debate. It One was relatively civil. It felt like a very civil debate, and I say that even though Donald Trump, one, called Hillary Clinton a nasty woman, which... That, that happened, and two, um, said he would not necessarily accept the results of the election. He later clarified after the debate that he would accept the results of the election if he wins, and if Hillary Clinton wins, uh, he'll see. He claims to, he will keep us in suspense. And I'll, I'll have a little bit more to say that, on that in the moment. I just want to talk about Chris Wallace for a moment. Chris Wallace was the moderator for this debate. He's a Fox News anchor, and I was cautiously optimistic, actually, about Chris Wallace being the moderator. When I've I've seen him moderate Republican debates, and he tends to be pretty tough on the candidates. He, he, um, He doesn't just, like, toss them up softball questions the way some moderators do, especially in single party debates. Uh, But all all of his questions were were very clearly from a Republican perspective and not in an especially subtle way. So as an example, uh, in a question about the Supreme Court, he said, um, do the founders' words mean what they say, or is it a living document to be applied flexibly according to changing circumstances? That clearly biases the, the the listener toward, yeah, the founders mean what they say. Like, do you, do you think they were, like, getting it wrong? Do you think they were... Like, it's like, if you disagree with that, you're saying that you don't really buy that the founders, like, really knew what they were talking about. Um, another one, this is a real doozy. Uh, Secretary Clinton, this is Chris Wallace talking, Secretary Clinton, I want to pursue your plan because in many ways it is similar to the Obama stimulus plan in 2009, which has led to the slowest GDP growth since 1949. You told me in July when we spoke that the problem is that President Obama didn't get to do enough of what he was trying to do with the stimulus. So is your plan basically, or even more, of the Obama stimulus? Okay. I don't think Wallace's number there are factoring in that the economy was still tanking when Obama took office in January 20th, 2009. And the economy's done reasonably well. Obviously, there there are some problems in how the wealth is distributed. But if you count from like when the economy hit rock bottom, you know maybe six months six months into Obama's first term, it, it did bounce back, and it bounced back once the stimulus started kicking in. And many economists do believe that a stronger stimulus, a bigger stimulus, would have be- resulted in a bigger recovery, and that the Obama administration was just afraid of the one trillion number, and that they they wanted to keep the stimulus under a more palatable, you know, something like eight hundred something billion dollars, which doesn't sound big at all. Anyway, uh, so the the debate was weird in that it was kind of contained compared to the totally insane first two debates between the candidates and had a clearly partisan framing of the questions. Uh, one of them was on taxes, where Chris Wallace said, you know, Hillary Clinton, you your uh, tax plan independent experts think it will bring us up to like 80 something percent uh, uh, debt of, of our, our GDP GDP times 0.8 something will equal our debt under Clinton's tax plan and under Trump's it's like 110 percent 120 percent or something like that and he's like when will either of you get serious about the debt okay under the Clinton tax plan yes that does bring us up to a higher level of um, debt to GDP, but that's probably okay. The The danger number is 100%. And under Clinton, we would still be, you know, we, we'd be inching toward that, and maybe that's not the best thing, but it's, it's not like the whole, like, U.S. as a family that uh, is, is spending beyond its means thing is a, a total nonsense metaphor. P- 
people tend to assume that the U.S. is good for its debts and that if you borrow from the U.S., it won't come back and say, yeah, sorry, I, I just don't have the cash. I thought I was going to get that job, and I didn't, and uh, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. People tend to think that the U.S. is going to pay off its debts, therefore we can run a fairly high deficit. Also, no mention of the fact that the deficit has dropped by about two-thirds under Obama. But but I wanted to, to use that as a segue to talk about the actual policies of these candidates, because it's hard to get to these things. These these policy things, these things that should be the the entire center. <clears throat> Quick sip of cider here. Cider season, by the way. Let's rejoice. So yeah, Trump's tax plan is largely a a giant donation of money from the federal government to rich people. It it also cuts taxes for less rich people. It cuts taxes for everyone. But most of that money is going to rich people, hence the uh, the debt exploding under Trump's tax plan. Foreign policy, uh, Trump's only real contribution to what we should be doing under foreign policy is not talk about attacks before we do them. That the the military should just you know pick their targets and attack them without broadcasting that we're going to do that. I find it really bizarre that no one's really called him on how this isn't a policy at all. That that this is like the sort of policy that your your uncle who watches Fox News comes up with, or maybe they don't even watch Fox News. Whatever they they see in a paper that we are going to attack Mosul in a week or something, or that the generals are talking about this. Whatever it is. Uh, we do unannounced covert attacks all the damn time. Drone strikes, for instance, have been going on for basically the entire Obama administration. It's when we send a robot with a gun on it that flies into a hostile area. We're doing this constantly. It's only the like full-scale offensives that, uh, that tend to get broadcast. Also, there may be tactical reasons for broadcasting your offense. Maybe you want people to leave the area. Maybe this is a way to reduce civilian casualties. Maybe you're less concerned about killing people than you are you know, taking a city back. Uh, none of this, none of this comes up when Trump is like, we need to bring back the element of surprise. This is something he actually said in the third debate. And that seems to be his whole foreign policy. Oh, yeah, um, the other parts of his foreign policy, excuse me, I shouldn't, shouldn't just gloss over these things. He seems to be convinced that we basically we have no tariffs or, or anything like that, um, and that we should renegotiate all our trade deals, whatever that means. There, there's your Trump foreign policy, presto changeo, everything's great. Healthcare. Um, Trump's big ideas, big idea is to allow uh, insurance companies to sell their plans across state lines. And again, if you're just like doing the headline version of of this plan, that like currently they can't sell across state lines because Obamacare or <laughs> whatever it actually is, and. Uh, and, and Trump is saying we're, they're going to sell across state lines. It's, there's going to be competition. It's going to be great. Everyone's going to love it. Okay. We, we have a, a good comparison for, for what he's talking about. It's credit cards. Credit card companies can sell across state lines. And most of them are based, I believe, the, the companies are officially based, I think, in North Dakota. Because North Dakota said we want a bunch of credit card jobs. We are going to make our our credit card laws completely lenient and completely favor the the companies and so credit card companies come on in and they did and for a while credit card it was like total wild west for credit card policies and credit card policies like healthcare policies are kind of impossible to understand if you're not an expert in these things I am, you know, like loosely informed on things like healthcare, like how healthcare works in America, and I don't really get it, and, and I don't think most people do, uh, especially when it comes to the real fine print of their healthcare policies. Like I, I 
I like my healthcare policy. I think I basically understand it, but there, there could be stuff like buried, you know, 20 pages into the fine print that I have no idea about where, you know, if I break my leg, all of a sudden my, my premiums shoot up. And that's why we have these big overarching bills like the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, as it's called, or uh, Dodd-Frank is the, the credit card and banking one that say, actually, you can't do that. And Dodd-Frank did clean up some of the credit card industry. Anyway, that's Trump's health care plan is to allow this for, um, for health insurance. And so that you could, you would open things back up to crappier health insurance plans. Maybe they'd be cheaper. They would also be crappier. Uh, the, the rest of his plan is um, block grants, which is basically states would be, be given a bunch of money to use for uh, Medicare, um, and they could do, or sorry, Medicaid, I believe, uh, and they could distribute that as they please, and to make um, healthcare premiums tax deductible, which again, totally awesome if you're rich because you probably have high healthcare premiums. If you're less rich, it's it's nice. It's a good little boost, but uh, but you're probably not paying a bunch in taxes anyway. So so that really matters more if you're like upper middle class, upper class, those things. Um, I kind of thought that this is what the podcast would be more about, frankly, is, is, is dissecting these issues a little bit more. But, but this, this election has never really been about policy. It's been almost entirely about Trump. And for a while, it was about Clinton versus Sanders. And that got into some policy. But with Trump, it's so hard to talk about policy. Because first, you feel like you need to address the this the insane litany of of things that he said since the last time we talked about Donald Trump even if it's just a day the, there's there's just a a pile you can't even get through the pile of crazy things he said be, before you kind of get into the minutia of his tax policy and if you're a media network the other networks are talking about how he bragged about assaulting women or um, or I, I've got a, a list of these things. My initial idea for this episode was to like go through the last month and find every crazy thing that Trump said and just list them out as kind of a historical document. And maybe if I, I had more time in my hands or, or like a research team, uh, I would do that. But it, it just quickly became clear that the amount of research that would entail was just not in the cards for me. But but I do have uh, a list of things. It's very incomplete, but it uh, it's a, a list of things that Trump has said or done that uh, crosses what I, I've come to call the Mitt Romney standard. So this is a so imagine if you know it's like september 2012 obama and romney are in a tight race and and romney's this character that's a little stiff but seems kind of reasonable in in some ways you know like he's a business guy and he, he plays that part and if you think that's the kind of guy that should be the president he really fits that mold for you if he did one of these things that that i'm gonna list off with donald trump it would be like the weirdest, most bizarre, like unforced error, or some of these are, are, are errors Trump could not have avoided. Anyway, if if any of this came out about Mitt Romney, it would almost like change how you think about the world. Whereas with Trump, it's just like another detail in the news that is, it's just kind of become endless and numbing to the point where you know, we, we don't really know a lot about his policies and he doesn't seem to know a lot about his policies either. Okay. So first the, the video, the access Hollywood video, uh, I, I don't think I need to repeat. If there's any ambiguity about what I'm talking about, just go ahead and Google access Hollywood video. Trump, this video was, came out two days before the second debate. I do believe it was timed that whoever was able to uh, time the launch of this video or the launch of when it was released to the public did so in a way to be maximally damaging to Trump. And I believe they succeeded. It took over discussion of the second debate. 
and also set off Trump in in a way that um, we could have anticipated, but was not anything that he had to do. So uh, a day or two after this video, Donald Trump at 3 a.m., maybe not knowing that tweets are timestamped or just not caring, goes on this rant on Twitter about Alicia Machado, who is the... Uh, oh, wait, sorry, I'm mixing up my, like, Trump denigrating things he said about women. Pardon me. Okay, so... Um, that, that was before the video. Right, because, um, yeah, as the video was really just, in a way, confirmation of what we knew about Donald Trump. So, the video comes out, and... Many, many Republicans start uh, unendorsing Trump. So John McCain, Kelly Ayotte, Republicans who are in danger of losing their seats or, or who just never liked Trump in the first place. Now they've got their excuse. They've probably wanted to get rid of Trump for a long time. Now they can say this is beyond the pale. This, this is even further than all the horrible things Trump has said. And, and it's, it's, the real reason is that it's a video. Two things. One, it's a video. It's everyone can watch it. And uh, like you, you don't need to trust someone about what it said, and Trump can't deny it because it's a video. So th there's that element. Two, Trump was already going down in the polls. And if Trump was, was winning the election when this thing comes out, I don't think we see a lot of people unendorse him, even if their stated reasons for unendorsing him, of course, have nothing to do with his polling. It already didn't look like he was going to win the election or, you know, when the video came out. And, of course, in that video, he brags about sexually assaulting women. That he does this whenever he feels like it, which is often. And so, you know, it, it makes one wonder, was he just making things up for his and Billy Bush's amusement? Or does he do this? Is, is he talking about things he actually does? And when I... When I saw the video, I thought there was at least some possibility that he was mostly just saying things that he thought would, you know, make Billy Bush think that he was cool. And then he, you know, he's probably very aggressive with women, but maybe like the worst things he said were just things he was kind of coming up with on the spot. It sort of sounded like a like a sixth grader like trying to like act like they've had like lots of sexual exploits and describing them in ways that are sort of like weird and not like <laughs> accurate or what people actually do. But um, that that idea was wrong <laughs> because over 10 women have now come out and said, yes, I was sexually assaulted by Donald Trump. Donald Trump's rebuttal of this. This is another like crosses the Mitt Romney standard thing. Um, is and again by Mitt Romney standard I don't mean Mitt Romney wouldn't have done this I mean it would have been like the weirdest news you've ever heard if Mitt Romney had done this um but Donald Trump's response was that these are all lies I've never done any of these things even though I bragged about doing them and um and I couldn't have done that I wouldn't have done that because those women weren't attractive enough they're they're too ugly for me to sexually assault them. Okay, uh, a, a few things about this. First of all, Donald Trump is saying that there is a an attractiveness standard for who he will sexually assault, and these women just didn't happen to meet the cut. But let's let's pretend that that we think he's telling the truth here. Some of these claims are from like 20 years ago, and there is one of, from a woman who sat next to Donald Trump on an airport. She, according to, or sorry, an airplane, according to her version of things, she uh, got bumped up to first class. It was just this random thing. There was an open seat. She somehow got chosen to be that person, and lo and behold, she's sitting next to Donald Trump. And before long, Donald Trump is groping her and touching her very inappropriately, and she got out of there. So, Donald Trump's version of the story is, yes, I remember sitting next to a woman on an airplane 20 years ago, and I didn't find her particularly attractive, and nothing happened. 
if this is true, Donald Trump has a memory like no one else. That you can just be like, okay, uh, you were at a board meeting and... Um, uh, you know, the the secretary came by and gave us coffee. By the way, this was in 1993. I think it was sometime in May. And um, he, he gave us coffee and, and said, would you like anything? And you said no. And then he left and you never saw him again. What do you think of that guy? If Donald Trump is, is telling the truth, then he knows what he thinks about that secretary as well, whether or not they were attractive. Uh, okay. Where, where, where to even go with my list? Uh, here, here's, here's uh, jumping back into my things that would blow your mind if Mitt Romney did them. The, I guess this one could be debatable. In the first debate, I believe it was, Donald Trump, and this is another policy thing, was asked, do you believe in like nuclear preemption? Like, if the United States, like, should the United States ever use nuclear weapons on another country if that country or someone else has not used nuclear weapons themselves. Should the United States ever be the first country in any conflict of any kind to use nuclear weapons? This is, you know, I would say no, but it's at least an interesting question. I can at least see the, the rationale behind saying you never take something off the table. And it's also the sort of thing where... I would like to know where my future president stands uh, on the issue because it's a tough one and kind of shows how they approach things. Do they take the nothing's off the table thing, even if that means like the the kind of the worst thing available to the United States? Or uh, are they saying we're not going to do that because we need to lead on this globally and if we take it off the table for us. We encourage other countries to do the same. We we show that we are biased towards peace. Oh yeah, all these things. Anyway, Trump managed to say both yes and no that we shouldn't do that, and that we should also like maybe not lose it as an option. And and I, I understand kind of wanting to take both sides, but. That's if you're, like, having a dinner table discussion. If you're running for president, I, I want to, like, know how you think about this. Random side note. By the way, this podcast is already long, and, and I'm not worrying about that because um, it's it's been a while. This is me making up for however long it's been. Uh, in the second debate, which is the town hall debate, there, uh, you know, which is when ordinary citizens, such as Ken Bone... Uh, can ask the, the candidates, you know, the, the the moderators choose the questions and then the people, like, stand up and ask those questions. And one of them was, I'm going to mess up the, the exact wording, but it was basically, how will you be a devoted president to all the people? Or, or, or are you, like, confident that you can be a devoted president to all the people? And... When this question was asked, my reaction was like, how was that chosen? I have like, I could just come up with 20 questions off the top of my head that I think are more interesting or like more needed than that question. But I think there should be kind of like a weird open-ended questions like that because candidates are ready, or at least like most like non-Trump candidates are, are ready to talk about specific issues. If you say immigration, they know what they're going to say about immigration. If you say taxes, they know what you're going to say. They know what they're going to say about taxes. If you say something like, what is your favorite part of America? Then they have to like kind of come up on the fly and just be like, uh, the, the heart of America. And it, it can be sort of a personality test. Sometimes it's sort of meaningless. Uh, Clinton's answer was, you know, just very friendly political speak. Trump said a couple random sentences and then started talking about the inner cities. And the uh, the person that asked this was black. And it's like he wasn't saying he didn't explicitly say, oh, like, you know, your your people or, you know, the, the, I'm going to address anything like that. But um, yeah, the, the connection was was fairly clear. Uh, all right. Um, see, it's even hard to like stay on topic and just like go through my list of, of, of terrible things that Trump has done in the last month. 
Okay, so I'm just going to read this off at this point. So yeah, we, we just did being on both sides of nuclear preemption, uh, having a totally different stance toward Russia than his running mate. It's pretty clear that Donald Trump and Mike Pence like don't talk a lot and like never bothered to figure out if they have like policy differences that are significant or like come around some kind of unified um, stance as a ticket. Um, oh, this is a good one. In the first debate, Donald Trump said he did black people a favor by questioning Obama's birthplace and therefore his legitimacy to be president of the United States. Uh, I, I could sort of explain how we got there as much as you can explain anything Trump says and does, but uh, I'm not, I'm not going to bother with that one. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say that he said that that was a favor to black people and that everyone was happy he did it. Oh, and that Hillary Clinton failed to get Obama to produce his birth certificate as if this is something that after you become president, you're like, by the way, I am a legal citizen of the United States, and uh, you you may have had some doubts about this when you elected me, but just, you know, proof, here's my birth certificate, as if that was a normal thing that any president had ever done or had been asked to do, and had nothing to do with Obama being black. All right. Uh, Claiming that the election is being rigged. Trump likes to use the word rigged to mean a lot of different things. It, It... can mean that the media says nasty things about you or just repeats the nasty things you've said to other people uh, or that like there's shady things going on in the polling places. How does Trump know this? What is like, and he's incredibly unspecific. He's just like in specific polling places, there are bad things and we should watch them, which is totally code for white people go vote and then like go to like black dominated precincts and uh, watch for sketchy behavior. But if he has intel on specific polling places, maybe he should tell someone and be like, yeah, there is this one in Pennsylvania where they're just putting the votes into a box and then uh, tossing some of them away. Well, he's not saying anything like that. He's just like, yeah, there's, they're up to bad things. Keep an eye on them. Uh, saying that he would uh, jail Hillary Clinton if he were president. So first he said that he would appoint a special prosecutor to uh, look into all the bad things that Hillary Clinton Hillary Clinton did as as you know once he's president, and then uh, Clinton had a line about like aren't we glad that there isn't someone of the temperament of Donald Trump to uh, that in the Oval Office and Trump said because you'd be in jail so like the special prosecutor in Trump's mind has already done his job and not just. You know, I don't know. And the prosecutors put Hillary Clinton in jail in Donald Trump's fantasy mind. Uh, That, it has been pointed out by quite a few people, is like military dictatorship type stuff. That's what happens in tyrannical governments. If you are a political enemy of the person in power, you go to jail. Um, Also, in in Trump's world, that's totally fine. Because why not? we're, We're playing Monopoly. And ironically, in Monopoly, going to jail actually can give you a huge advantage if you do it at the right time. Um, oh, uh, in the end of the first debate, Donald Trump congratulated himself for not bringing up Bill Clinton's affairs, which, you know, it's it's nice that he didn't do that because they're not particularly relevant to this election, even though Bill Clinton's wife is running for president. It's not like... She, whatever. I'm not even gonna like go down that rabbit hole. Um, and then spent like the next two weeks talking endlessly about Clinton's Bill Clinton's affairs. Uh, another like side note that like again would be like the story if this were Mitt Romney. It came out like a month ago or so that. Donald Trump very likely violated the Cuban embargo in the early 2000s and did so knowingly. So that's like, uh, you know, this is a, a crime against the U.S. that um, probably happened. And it's like not even like front page news. It's like, you know, like somewhere in the business pages. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he, he violated a U.S. trade embargo. But, uh, you know, it, uh, we, we, we don't even have time to like even dive into that one. Donald Trump also said that Obama only won North Carolina in 2008 because undocumented immigrants voted for him. 
Uh, I worked for Obama in North Carolina in 2008, and that was literally the first time I'd ever even heard of that. And I heard a crapload of Obama conspiracy theories from the North Carolinians themselves um, while working that job. But uh, but Trump's got the super special intel that uh, that I somehow missed spending three months there. Last thing I want to add to the list, and again, this list is just so nowhere near complete. Oh, before I throw in this one, after Hillary Clinton brought up Alicia Machado, the uh, beauty pageant queen that that Trump called Miss Piggy and Miss Housekeeping, um, after Clinton brought her up, Trump went on the 3AM tweet storm and said that she had a sex tape. Like, Alicia Machado's a bad character. As proof, look up her sex tape. No one has been able to find her sex tape. So either she has a sex tape that only Donald Trump knows about, or Donald Trump invented someone else's sex tape. Either way, what? (laughs) And again, it's just like, you, you... you can't even process all of this. You can barely process one of these things. At least I, this, I can't. I haven't. Uh, the last thing I want to bring up from the list is uh, it's, it's something where, so I wake up to public radio, and I just like heard this while kind of coming into consciousness, and I haven't heard it anywhere else. And it was just a line from a Donald Trump rally where he said, if Hillary Clinton, if she goes to China, you know, it's, it's like she's president. She goes to China, she's in Tiananmen Square, and she falls, like, on the ground. No one will help her. They're tough people there. Okay. I, I don't think this is, like, a metaphor or, like, you know, a way of describing Hillary Clinton failing in diplomatic negotiations. I'm pretty sure Donald Trump is literally talking about if Hillary Clinton is walking through a Chinese city and she falls on the ground because she has pneumonia again or whatever it is, that she will just be left there to die because the, the, the hard Chinese people will not assist a dying white woman or just a dying woman. He didn't specify if, if just like people are left to die in China, this is just a normal thing. Or uh, is it because like, is it because she's Hillary Clinton? It's like, because it's the U S president. Like they, they don't like her or is it because she's white or, or somewhat elderly, you know, what specifically, why uh, are these uh, hypothetical Chinese people leaving hypothetical Hillary Clinton to die in Tiananmen Square from some unspecified ailment? Uh, as if, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton will not be followed around by like 20 Secret Service people at all times as president, as she probably is right now. Anyway, I mean, the, the whole thing is just so absurd and weird and not anything that needs to be talked about. And it's not like Hillary Clinton looks particularly frail. Yeah, she had that like bad moment in New York when she she fainted and it came out that she had pneumonia and she like tried to like hide having pneumonia for a moment, which was weird. Um, but this is like still a thing that Donald Trump wants to talk about weeks afterwards, and also in like the most bizarre kind of like it's like a scene from a kind of over the top dystopian novel is like Hillary Clinton walking through China, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, or just China itself. China itself to Donald Trump is is like a a dark, hard place where if you fall, you you cannot get up. Um, okay, uh, a few things about the first debate. Then I should probably call this a podcast after you know m- making some wide-reaching points about the Republican Party. Um, I, I just want to just a few more Trump quotes. I, I can't I can't not talk about cyber. You know, if you're using the word cyber, either you're using a term that is, was coined in the mid-90s or late-90s and has continued on, like cybersecurity, or, or you're talking to someone who kind of got a sense of the internet in the 90s and 
their sense of the internet has not evolved significantly since then. Okay, so uh, Trump was asked about uh, cyber warfare and cybersecurity. I need a quick sip before I do this one. Okay, so in response to this question from Lester Holt in the first debate, and this was around the point where where Trump started to fall apart. For the first half of the debate, first half hour or so, he was uh, rude and saying things that don't make a whole lot of sense or just aren't true, and was interrupting Hillary Clinton constantly, and but would seem to have the upper hand in the debate because he wasn't being called on any of that, and Hillary Clinton did seem somewhat rattled. And this is around the moment when things started to fall apart for him. And it's good they did, because at the time of that first debate, the polls were getting close, like legitimately close. Like, had the election been held on that day, it's very unclear who would won. Okay, Donald Trump is asked about cybersecurity, and he says, As far as the cyber, I agree to parts of what Secretary Clinton said. We should be better than anybody else, and perhaps we're not. I don't think anybody knows it was Russia, this is the the DNC hacks, that broke into the DNC. She's saying Russia, 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 but I don't, maybe it was. I mean, it could be Russia, but could it also be China? It could also be lots of other people. It could also be somebody sitting on their bed that weighs 400 pounds, okay? At at the time, it seemed clear enough that he was talking about a 400-pound person sitting on a bed. However, looking at it again, again, it could be a person of any weight sitting on a bed that weighs 400 pounds. And then I got to thinking Donald Trump probably owns at least one bed that's 400 pounds. Which does it mean? It's open, open to discussion. Someone should ask him about that. He goes on about cyber. So we have to get very, very tough on cyber and cyber warfare. It is, it is a huge problem. I have a son. He's 10 years old. He has computers. He is so good with these computers. It's unbelievable. The security aspect of cyber is very, very tough. And maybe it's hardly doable. <laughs> uh, it's, my, it's my favorite quote of this whole election. <laughs> cyber warfare is a huge problem. I have a 10-year-old son. He has computers. The security aspect of cyber is very tough, and maybe it's hardly doable. All right. Um... And then, at the very end of this debate, Hillary Clinton brings up Alicia Machado, and uh, and this was clearly a preloaded attack. Hillary Clinton was just trying to find her moment to unload it, and it was getting close to the end of the debate, and she hadn't found her moment, so she just brought it up on a question about something else. And so Trump didn't know this was coming, of course. It, it took him by surprise because Clinton did not announce her attacks. Sometimes the element of surprise is good. And so how, how does Trump respond to this sudden attack that, about his character, about how he feels about women and about Hispanics? Here's what he says. You know, Hillary is hitting me with tremendous commercials. Some of it, some of it said in entertainment. Some of it said somebody who, who's been very vicious to me, Rosie O'Donnell, I said very tough things to her, and I think everybody would agree that she deserves it, and nobody feels sorry for her. Okay. I know you just heard me say that. I just want to reiterate it. Donald Trump was attacked about his attitude toward women, and that he says insulting things about women, and he said, his response to this was, I have said horrible things about Rosie O'Donnell, and she deserved them, and no one should feel sorry for her, and no one does. Amazing. Okay. Some, some concluding thoughts here. The polls strongly suggest that Donald Trump will not be president. If you, are, um, if you don't go to 538.com and you're just looking at the polls, you might actually think this is a much closer race than it is because there is an LA Times tracking poll, which is, is every day, and it has a plus six Trump uh, skew, um, which is okay. It's okay if, if your poll, as long as you're consistent in how you do your poll and we can bake that in into how we interpret it. Obviously, you want it to be as accurate as possible, but at least we kind of know how to interpret that. Rasmussen is also another polling firm that leans Republican, 
It's got at least a plus three or plus four trampoline, and uh, they pull frequently. And there's one more tracking pole that comes out frequently and has a trampoline, as in the numbers that come out are more toward Trump than reality as we understand it. And if you have sites like 538 that are constantly evaluating the accuracy and the skew of each poll, then you you can interpret these and you're okay. And you know that Hillary Clinton has, you know, probably a 90 plus percent of winning this election, barring something bizarre happening in the last couple of weeks. If you're just looking at the polls, you'd be like, oh, like it's about tied. Okay, but Trump will not be president. Trump will probably start a network with uh, the the Breitbart people and Roger Ailes. They, they seem very set up to do this, and it's like probably like already in place. I wouldn't be surprised if they already like have uh, some studio space picked out. Uh, another element of this, assuming Hillary Clinton becomes president, I believe that there aren't really mandates right now. Uh, at least, you know, until someone wins a true landslide election against a candidate that the uh, the losing party is willing to kind of own after the election, we, we don't really have mandates. After uh, Clinton wins, Republicans are going to say, we were never going to work with you, and you saying that you beat Trump means nothing because we don't care that you beat Trump. We hate Trump. We want to forget about Trump. We're just going to, you know, get back to saying nasty things about you and uh, not letting you get anything done. However, it's looking more likely than not that the Democrats will take the Senate and they have almost no chance of taking the House. It would take Trump severely depressing turnout in his own party uh, for Democrats to take the House and Democrats doing an amazing job at turnout. It's almost certainly not going to happen. But the Senate plus just the executive branch can get a lot done in four years. Uh, at least one Supreme Court seat, if not, say, two or three, which is awesome. It's like the, the biggest thing in this election. But there's still plenty of stuff you can do with appointments and just executive orders. The executive branch is powerful. And Obama is finding all the ways that it can be powerful because the uh, legislative branch is not helping him out at all. Uh, another little takeaway from this is that I like Hillary Clinton a little bit more now as a likely future president. Um, seeing how prepared she's been for these debates makes me think more highly of her because th this was not a, a done deal. Again, at the time of the first debate, Hillary Clinton was winning, but barely. Now she's winning by a ton, and it's partly because her opponent is a crazy man it also helps that that she has uh, she's she's avoided any big mistakes at these debates. She's avoided any mistakes generally in the last couple months. You know, there have been some a couple weird moments, but nothing like she hasn't crossed the Mitt Romney line. She hasn't done anything where you're like, if Mitt Romney did that, we'd all be like losing our minds. Uh, I like the idea that Mitt Romney's behavior can make people lose their minds. Uh, a notion I've been I know pushing over the last however long I've been doing this podcast. This, this episode. Last last thing I want to say here before we, we call this an episode, a very long episode, is now I've got this question in my mind of which which GOP, which Republican Party do we feel sorry for, if we feel sorry for either of them. At times I've kind of sympathized with the, the Paul Ryan end of things, where it's like, you guys have ideas about policy that I disagree with, but they come from a studied, researched place that has some history, that has some intellectual backing behind it, and your party has been taken over by this blathering madman who can't be bothered to learn policy or like run a coherent campaign and says terrible things and is racist and sexist in very demonstrable ways, and and like we don't even know the half of it because we probably don't have half of the women who he sexually assaulted coming forward. We don't have like any anywhere close to like the the like audio and video that's out there, you know, in the the recesses of like The Apprentice somewhere. So there's there's that end of the party where it's like, yeah, uh, like you 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 guys kind of don't have a coherent party anymore, and it's because of this this crazy wing. However. 
another part of me feels worse for the crazy wing because they've been led on this whole time by the more establishment wing. Republican governors and state legislators up and down have been saying, yeah, there, there's sketchy stuff that goes on with, with voting, you know, in, in some of these, these precincts, you know, you know, the ones I'm talking about. And they say that so that they can pass voter ID laws that make it harder for people of color to vote and make it so Republicans do better. And that's terrible. But, but like, to, to justify that, you have to kind of have this rhetoric of we're not just disenfranchising people of color for political gain. We're doing it, you know, through this, like, very thinly disguised notion of voter fraud. But that means their base starts to believe in voter fraud. And then they'll say things like Hillary Clinton should... You know, should not be allowed anywhere near the presidency. She's she should have been discredited long ago because you know uh, Benghazi and you know these emails are bad and uh, and she lied about some stuff when she was a senator. You know whatever it is, and uh, and yeah, there's there's some dings, some like legit dings on her record, but not nothing more than like an average politician. You know, nothing more than like the standard dishonesty that goes into being a U.S. politician. And say what you will about that. You should. But to but because they are trying to, the you know, they've been trying to tear Hillary Clinton down for years because they knew she was going to run for president. And so, again, they're the Republican base is being led to believe that, yeah, Hillary Clinton is not just like wrong on some policy stuff. She's she's kind of a criminal. And, you know, maybe she should be put in jail. And so then the election happens and it's like, you know, 14 Republicans saying, you know, kind of more like bland stuff that's going to play better to a general audience. And Donald Trump saying everything that the base has been led to believe for for years. And they're kind of stuck because they can't just say, like, this is out of nowhere. It's out of what they've all been saying for a long time. So... Which one do we feel sorry for? I I don't know. Right now, I actually feel sorry for like the crazier Trump supporters. Except I don't actually feel sorry for them. I'll feel sorry for them when they lose the election because right now we're still holding the the like time bomb of the potential Trump presidency. It's almost diffused. It's only going to take two more weeks. Doesn't look like this thing's going off. Thank friggin' God, because he's so deeply unqualified to be president and clearly a terrible person. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, Republicans, you broke it, you bought it. Listeners, if you're still with me, if, if you haven't fallen and are, are able to get up, uh, thank you so much for listening to this rather long episode of the Wonka Vader podcast. I'd say please subscribe, but, um... Well, yeah, I, I think I'm confident I, I have your loyalty and devotion if, if you're still listening to these words. And now you can stop because I'm going to stop. Have a great night. Goodbye. <laughs>